Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. What is a covenant? A covenant is a special promise between two parties. We've been discussing several of the covenants or promises that God made with five men in the Old Testament. We've called this series we've been in Five Guys. Pastor Nicole has talked about God's promises to Adam, Noah, and Abraham. And last week, Pastor Quint Lindblad discussed God's covenant with Moses as he led the nation of Israel out of captivity. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to wrap up our series by looking at God's promises to King David. How does God's continuing revelation to David and to us continue to impact our relationship we have with God? That's what she'll uncover today. So let's get started and wrap up our series, Five Guys. Here's Pastor Nicole. We are in the finale of our series called Five Guys. I hope you've learned something new. Um, I hope that the promises of God have come alive for you. Uh, I know they have certainly for me and the things that God has taught me through this series. Uh, as we've been processing through the five guys, maybe if it's your first time today or you're just kind of catching on to this, uh, what we have been talking about is the story of redemption that started in the Old Testament is really followed through five men and the promises that God made to each of those men. And these five men, they take us uh, from covenant to covenant, and they help us really digest the Old Testament. They help us really understand it. And those five guys are the five we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Um, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. And so today we're going to end uh, by talking about David. Okay, so last week, uh, Pastor Quint did a masterful job talking about Moses as he basically gave you the book of Exodus in like 15 minutes. So uh, it was an awesome summary. Now, a lot happens in the life of Moses through uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So uh, Pastor Quint talked to you a lot about Exodus last week, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, a lot of things that Moses uh, happens to Moses. And the scripture is actually following one particular group or tribe of people. And Moses almost leads this group, leads the Israelites, into the promised land, but then dies just short of accomplishing uh, what has, what, getting the um, Israelites into the promised land, and that's recorded in Deuteronomy. And then Joshua takes over as the leader. And Joshua, uh, which is the next book in the Bible, if you're following along there, Joshua takes the people into the promised land. And the book of Judges, which is the next book, is about the earliest days of them living in that land. And there were many periods of them ignoring God and then being faithful to him and then forgetting God and remembering him again. Uh, not much has changed with humanity, has it? Uh, over and over in generations. And as you read through those books of the Old Testament, that's really what you're reading, what you're seeing is the scripture is following this certain tribe, this certain family, and telling you about the experiences that that family is having with God and with each other on the earth. Now, there were some good kings. There were some corrupt kings. And one of the most corrupt kings was documented was King Saul. And Saul uh, was kind of making one mistake after another uh, making a lot of mess and killing a lot of people that probably shouldn't have been killed and making kind of all these decisions. And it's in that moment when uh, King Saul is uh, sort of making a lot of terrible decisions and mistakes that God says to Samuel, who is a prophet, 
He says, look, I need you to go find David uh, and anoint him king of Israel. Now, there's a whole story with that, and, and you'll, you'll want to read it. It's really fascinating, a lot of biblical, amazing truths in that. But those are kind of the origins of King David, and I wanted to just sort of catch us up to the moment of David's life that I want to talk about today. Uh, I really want to focus on uh, maybe a moment of King David that you're not super familiar with because it's not talked about a lot, but this is where God makes this covenant or this promise to David, and that we find in 2 Samuel 7. So you can see uh, we find this in the book of Samuel because he is the prophet at that time that is, uh, has found David and anointed him. And so David, uh, in this particular moment, has just, he, he is king, he, he finally is reigning king, and he just completed the construction of his palace. And it's big, okay, it's beautiful. It has an open floor plan and walk-in pantry and custom lighting, okay, and vaulted ceilings. And I mean, this thing is amazing. And he is um, looking, he, he's in his palace, and he looks out, and he sees the ark of the Lord, Now, the Ark of the Lord was the place where the presence of God was housed. Uh, Remember, uh, before um, Jesus came, the Holy Spirit was not everywhere all the time in our hearts like it is now. And so there was a place where the presence of God was housed, and it was covered by merely a tent. They called it a tabernacle at the time. And David looks out from his palace, sipping his cappuccino, and he says, um, you know what, why don't I build a house for God? I mean, God deserves a house. I have a house. God, God deserves a house nicer than mine. I'll build a house for God. I have all these resources. I have all these uh, things that God has given me. I'll build a house for God. And so David, he calls his friend and confidant, Nathan, the prophet, and he tells him his intentions. He says, here's what I think I should do. And Nathan hastily consents thinking that David's plans for such a house will be pleasing to God. Of course, God wants a house. It makes sense. But that night, Nathan is corrected by God, and Nathan's first gut feeling was wrong. Anyone ever have that moment? (laughs) Let's just stop. Will that preach for a second? Uh, My first gut feeling is wrong. And so through Nathan, God gives David a word. And Nathan has to return to King David with a revised prophetic evaluation. And here's what he says in 2 Samuel 7, 5 through 7. God is talking to Nathan. He's saying, go, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling And wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, so God starts with this sentiment. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, David. I didn't ask you to do that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, and David did it and we do it too. Aren't we always trying to give God our solutions? Hey, God, have you ever thought about how you can actually fix the world? Because I have an idea. Or I have this plan for my life, and I laid it all out in an email. I'll send it up. Just go ahead. You know, If you just execute it that way, I'm sure everything will be fine. We have these ideas for God. But God is reminding him, look, when I gave the law to Moses, 
I instructed them on how the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God should be cared for, and it's been working just fine. Ironically, God's idea is the one that works. And when the people moved from one place to another, the Ark went with them. God wanted to be portable. God didn't want to be in a palace where he could only stay in one place. God was with those people wherever they went, and God gave them victory over their enemies, and God gave them possession of the promised land. There was a reason God didn't want a house that could not be moved to any other location. So God says, listen, you know, it's been fine so far. Then he says in verse 7, uh, he gives another reason. He says, look, I didn't ask for one. <laughs> if a temple were needed... Surely God would have asked for one. And as I was thinking about that moment, I think this is a really, really good reminder to us that there are a lot of good things we can do for the Lord, aren't there? There are a lot of good things. There are a lot of good missions. There's a lot of um, good uh, organizations out there. There's a lot of good causes out there. But the biggest enemy of God's best things for our life is often good things. The biggest enemy of God's best things for our life is often good things because building a house, David building a house for God, that was a noble idea. In fact, Nathan at first was like, yeah, that's actually a great idea. Why wouldn't God want a house? He wanted to give God a space that at least rivaled his own. But God reminds him, listen, I didn't ask for a house. God could have invested, David could have invested in a big project or a mission that was good, but it wasn't best. And God reminded him, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to do something else. And so get with the Lord and ask him, what are the things I'm supposed to do? What are the best things? Because sometimes we're so busy and distracted by the good things that we're not actually doing the things that God told us to do. All right, I was just going to say, can anyone amen that? And we already got some over here, so we're good. All right, let's keep going. 2 Samuel 7. So Nathan continues as God's mouthpiece, and in these verses, I'll summarize them for you, verses 8 through 11, um, God takes time to remind David of his faithfulness. And God says, look, I took you from a pasture. I took you from just being an ordinary shepherd to the throne. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I won't stop now. God says, I protected you. I cut off your enemies. God says, I cared for you. I gave you everything you needed. I walked with you in the darkest valley, in the shadow of death. And in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, it reads this. And this is where the promise, the covenant comes in. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Ha <laughs> ha. That's right, David. You thought you wanted to build a house for God, but God's going to build a house for you. Just when you thought you could be helpful to God, this house that God's going to build for you. And you know what? This house is not going to be like anything you could ask or imagine. This house is far greater than recessed lighting and vaulted ceilings. This kind of house that God is going to build through David is not even a physical house. It's a spiritual house. It's a heavenly house. It's a house that has many rooms. It's a big, big house. Does anyone know that song? With lots and lots of rooms where you can play football. Look it up. All right, it's good. In the New Testament, John 14, 2 describes it. My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
David wants to do something for God, and God says, watch me do something for you. And God reminds him, behind all of David's successes, God was there. Behind every good thing David ever did, it was God's idea. And God reminds David, okay, don't be having all these ideas. Like, the idea factory is closed. I know what's going on here. You do what I ask you to do, and you will experience even more than you can ask or imagine. And so the details concerning the house, the covenant, is laid out in verses 12 through 17. So let's read that together. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, it says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your own ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Now, these verses in 2 Samuel contain what theologians have come to call the Davidic covenant. These are those particular verses, one of the greatest covenants of the Bible. In fact, this moment in Scripture is of the same magnitude as the promise to Adam in Genesis that we talked about lots of weeks ago as the covenant with Noah uh, through the rainbow, as the promise God made to Abraham and to Moses on Mount Sinai. And with this promise that God will build a house that will last forever and David, David's lineage will build the kingdom of God, it's like it's stepping out the progress of redemption. God started by uh, describing and explaining it kind of narrowly. And with every covenant, God says, let me help you understand more. Let me give you some more information. It's called progressive revelation. God is now revealing more and more. And the picture is getting clearer and clearer as the scripture marches on. This picture of redemption. If you remember, we started in Genesis 3 concerning a promise God made to Adam uh, Genesis 3.15, we talked about this in the very beginning of this series. And this verse says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what we talked about is that her seed was actually foreshadowing the birth of Jesus Christ. It was the, the seed of the woman, the seed of Mary that would come and be Jesus Christ. And this is a prophetic, forward-looking statement that's describing Jesus Christ, that someday he will defeat Satan forever. He might bruise his head, it might feel like a Good Friday is a tough day, but you know what? Jesus will bruise his heel. And then it goes on to say, Jesus will crush his head, okay? That there will be victory forever. And so the progressive revelation is this. In the Davidic covenant, we actually see and understand more of this seed uh, concept. How would that seed come? Where would that seed come from? Seed come from? How's it gonna work? These are all questions we ask God about things don't we? He's so patient with us. God tells us something and we're like, okay, but when? 
but what minute? But which Monday? You know, but, but what will I be wearing? Well, what will, the, will it be raining? You know, we like ask God all these questions. I think he's like, okay, okay. No, he's patient with us. But the Davidic covenant, the scripture in 2 Samuel 7, helps answer some of these questions. That the seed will come from the house of David, from the lineage of David, through David's genealogy, the family line of David will last forever. And through David's family, Jesus, the Savior, would come. Now, there are a lot of similarities between David and Jesus. And God did this on purpose. They lived about a thousand years apart from each other. So think about that, about a hundred generations. And theologians call David a type of Christ. Uh, putting it simply, a type means like a rough draft, Okay, a less accurate model, a type of something, it is something that's similar, it's foreshadowing, but the more perfect image is still to come. So I want to show you just a few things, there were a lot of things, but a few things where David and Jesus had a lot in common when we look back at their lives. David uh, was a king, Jesus was, is the king of kings. David was a shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd. David was born in Bethlehem. Christ was born in Bethlehem. David wept on the Mount of Olives as he went into exile. Christ wept on the Mount of Olives after being betrayed. They both shed tears in the same place. David was persecuted by his enemies. Christ also persecuted by his enemies. David conquered Goliath with a few smooth stones in a river. Christ conquered the devil and will forever and ever. All right, and, and this is just a short list, to be honest. I could go on, but these are the things. So all of a sudden, what's happening in the Old Testament is, is God is giving this glimpse of David. This is how it's going to be. Not, this isn't the perfect person. This is the rough draft. But someday, the perfect version of a king, the perfect version of a shepherd, the perfect version of a conqueror will be here. And, and you better get ready because it's coming. And that's what the scripture is talking about. And from this promise to David came the expectation for centuries that the Messiah, Jesus, he would come from the tribe of Judah. The people would say, well, David came from the tribe of Judah, so Jesus must be coming from the tribe of Judah. David was born in Bethlehem. Maybe Christ will be born in Bethlehem. See, what they're doing is it's building this anticipation from the line of David and the town of Bethlehem. And if you remember in the Christmas story, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke 1, he says about Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Have you ever wondered why they call Christ's father, David? Well, that's because it's his great, 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 great grandpa, <laughs> Right, That David is the one who God said, listen, out of your lineage, out of your family is going to come the Savior. And what's happening in this moment is they, the people and we are being reminded God never breaks his promise. God said he was going to come from that family a thousand years ago. And here it is. Here it's happening. And let me remind you of the promises of God. His father is David. Also in Luke 2, uh, the angel appears to the shepherd and the angel said to them, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, 
a savior who is Christ the Lord. It's as if the angel was saying, God keeps his promise. Let me remind you, yeah, Joseph is his actual earthly father who raises him, but he doesn't say in the city, the father of Joseph or in the city of Joseph. There are a lot of people that lived in that city generations after David, but the angel says, remember, God made this promise all those years ago, and he is living it out right now, and here comes the Messiah. So a thousand years later, the promise is validated, and Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of David, just as God said he would. He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God who delivers on all of his promises. Even when the people are not faithful, God is faithful. And Jesus is born, and he is the perfect embodiment of the righteous rule and reign of God. And David was a good king, but Jesus is the perfect king. And everything David wasn't, Jesus is now. There's one other verse I want to come back to in 2 Samuel that I don't want to miss today. I want to go back to verse 14. It's right in the middle of that whole passage of covenant. But it says this, I will be his father. Remember, this is God talking. And he will be my son. And this describes the descendants of David. That the descendants of David will enjoy a very unique and privileged relationship with God. It specifically describes the relationship, a father-son relationship. Now, in the Bible, uh, to be a son doesn't always mean just a physical offspring of a father. The term son refers uh, to the one who rules in the place of another or on behalf of another. Uh, For example, uh, Adam was the son of God in the sense that uh, God said, you're going to rule over my creation in my place, like in my proxy. Like I'm going to give you the authority. I'm gonna, you're going to be the agent to rule in my place. In the Old Testament, um, kings were called sons of God because God would install them upon the throne and God would say, okay, now you rule as I would rule. Rule, rule in, in, in godly way. Think how I would think. Act how I would act. And so this verse is telling us that the kingdom, the house that God is building through David, is going to result in people being able to have a father-son relationship with God. Okay, don't get distracted here. Don't, 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 uh, don't get lost right here because this is the most important part. What this is saying to us today is that God is not far away. God is not hiding from you. He wants to have relationship with you, a close personal relationship. He wants to be your father and he wants you to recognize yourself as his child. And if you're here today and you, you've never entered into a father-son relationship with God, that is absolutely the most important part of this message. That's absolutely the most important part of the Davidic covenant. I think all the, all the uh, type of Christ stuff is so cool and, and that's all uh, just incredible to look at that history. But let me tell you the point of this whole relationship Davidic covenant, the point why Jesus put that, why God put that in the word is for this reason. God wants to have a father-son relationship or a father-daughter relationship with every single one of us. That's what he wants. That's his desire. That, that was part of the reason he said to David, no, 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 don't build me a house, I'll build you a house. 
And the house I'm gonna build for you is gonna show you that I want a relationship with every single person that I've given a soul, that I've given breath, that I put on the planet. The scripture says, when we are saved by faith, we become the sons and daughters of God. And so actually, uh, before I close today, I have a little bit more to say, but will everyone just close their eyes and bow their head right now? I just wanna stop for just a minute. And if you're here today and you would say, you know, I know God, I, I, I think I know about him, but I do not feel like I have a father-son or a father-daughter relationship with God, and you want one, I just want you to raise your hand so I can see you, because I want to pray for you today. Just keep your hand up, I see you. I see you, I see you. I see you. All right, you can put your hand down. Let me pray for you right now. And if you're sitting in the seat and you've already accepted this, will you pray for the people in this room, about 15 that raised their hand this morning? God, I thank you. God, I thank you that through the Davidic covenant and through every message for the rest of the scripture, Lord, what you are saying to us is that you want a close, personal, intimate relationship with us. And so, God, I pray that as each of these people seek that, Lord, you would help them come face to face with you that they would repent of their sin. They would ask you what it is that's keeping them from you. What, what is it that's keep, what sin in their life potentially is keeping them from a relationship with you? Maybe what trauma or what pain or what hurt? And I pray that you would help them reconcile that. And as they repent, as they change, as they turn from those ways, God, that they could feel the presence of God even right now flooding into their hearts, God, even right now, in Jesus' name, even right now. You pray at your seat right now that they would feel the presence of God right now. All across this room, every single person, pray that the Holy Spirit of God would meet them. God, do what only you can do. Father, change what only you can change. Heal what only you can change right now. Bring a deep understanding of the covenant that you want a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with us. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you will do those things that you, because of your cross, Lord God, because of that you died on the cross, we can have relationship with you. And so God, bring a deep understanding of that. And God, it's in your name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, if you raised your hand today, make sure you come down and talk to the people to my right and to my left at these prayer tables. We just wanna pray with you. We wanna make sure you understand the Davidic covenant. We wanna make sure you understand that it's the most important decision you'll make. Okay, but before I end, here's something I really want you to see. This term sons and daughters doesn't only mean that we become children of God. But don't, don't miss this. It also means we become people who will reign with him. Okay, we become people that God wants to trust that we act like him, that we represent him. Being a son or a daughter of God means not only that when Christ returns to this earth and we are raised from the dead, that we're adopted as sons and daughters in Christ and we're gonna reign with him for eternity, but until then, God also says, I want you to represent me well on earth. And God established his kingdom through the house of David. Jesus came, he did a work on the cross and that allows for us all to have relationship with him. But now, until Jesus comes again, we are to represent God's kingdom. We're the carriers of the kingdom that was established by David. Listen, we are the house of God. 8150 Oliver Road, but you, you, your heart 
If, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you're a believer in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, you are the house of God, each of us. We hold the Spirit of God and we are anointed to be used by God. That's what we're supposed to do. And so when God said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. God is speaking to David and yes, he's speaking about his son Solomon who's gonna come, but he's not just talking about kings sitting on thrones in Jerusalem. God is talking about the new covenant and he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me and God's thinking about his relationship with his people that begins here with David and is gonna stretch on forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what he's talking about. God's promises are alive today. God's promises are alive today. This is alive today. What God established all those years ago to David is alive today because you are the house of God. So here's how I wanna to end today. I wanna to end this whole series. Uh, I asked the prayer team to come up, if you guys would come now and just kinda of line the altars. And I'm gonna ask something big today, but I, I really felt like the Lord impressed this on me, is I want to ask every, every person, every person in the room, full participation, to come down during the song and just get anointed. And let me tell you what's gonna happen. They're just gonna put a little oil on your head. It doesn't drip, it doesn't smell. Like it just kinda is right there. And, and then you're gonna, and they're just gonna pray a quick uh, prayer over you real quick. And then you're gonna go back to your seat, okay? If you actually can't get up because you have a health concern, raise your hand. We have somebody ready to find you and anoint you and pray for you. But here's the thing. Anointing oil is not magic, okay? There's nothing magical about this anointing oil. One time I anointed a house with like olive oil they had in the fridge, okay? Because it's not about the oil. What it is, is about the symbol. Anointing oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And by getting anointed, you're saying, I want a father-son relationship with God or a father-daughter relationship with God. And I want to be used by him to advance the kingdom of God. That's what you're saying. And by having that moment, it is just a symbol, it's a physical action of what you are spiritually saying. I want to be used by God and I wanna be part of this covenant. So as we remember that, let's remember that the throne of David has been established forever for you and for me. And we are part of that promise today. And so would you stand? The worship team's gonna lead us in this song. It's called Make Room. And I would love for you to come, get anointed. Let's worship together. Come now, let's make um, room for God as we ask him to do something new in our lives. I will make 
my tradition Break down the walls for my religion Your way is better Your way is better Come on, shake up Shake up the ground for my tradition Break down the walls for my religion Your way is better Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Shake up the ground. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Shake up the ground. Shake up. Thank you for listening to the Your First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.